Good morning. I'm glad you're approving the notes. <laughs> I also added a whole lot of things that, after you read the notes, that I got afterwards. So I hope you approve of the part that you didn't read. <laughs> I want to minister this morning on a pretty sensitive topic. Okay, are you stubborn or steadfast? Is the theme of it, and um, it might it might scrape you a little bit, but it's not any different than any of the other topics might scrape you too. This one is, um, you know, we have to examine what we do and whether we're really pleasing to the Lord or we're just doing things out of habit. Old dogs can learn new tricks if they're willing to accept new information and make the change. I don't like that expression that you can't teach an old dog a new trick. Mm -hmm. With enough time and patience, an old dog can learn a new trick. So we sometimes think that because we're older, we've earned the right just to do our own thing because that's the way we've always done it. But with enough time and enough patience, you can change your ways. Amen? Well, I don't hear any amens. There's either Amen. you're not either in agreement or <laughs> you're just thinking about it. <laughs> if you refuse to change, you won't grow. And that's what the bottom line is, is we have to be teachable. We have to be able to learn, and we're going to keep on growing and keep on learning until God calls us home. So we need to be we need to be changed. We need to change. So some common synonyms of stubborn are dogged, mulish, obstinate, and I don't even can't even pronounce it. I shouldn't have put this in. Pernicious. <laughs> Pernicious. Okay. Well, all these words mean fixed and unyielding in course or purpose. Stubborn implies a sturdiness in resisting change. And that may not be admirable. We're going to get to the good part later about being steadfast. But I first want to minister. I would like to just get it right out there and then give you something good when you go home. Amen? <laughs> One commentator called stubbornness an intractable spirit that refuses to believe God's word. I thought that was really good. I know of a person who had major heart surgery and he was under the knife for like 14 hours. He had a five-artery bypass. Every vein in the heart had been, had, had needed work. I mean, it was really extensive. It was 90% blocked when he went in. And after the surgery, the doctor said, he will die within five years of intractable heart disease if he does not follow exactly what the doctor's orders are. Intractable. In other words, stubborn. So it's stubborn heart disease. Sometimes we have stubborn heart disease because we refuse. There's just that one area in our lives that you just cannot. You've had people talk to you and you just, you refuse to change. And you think you're being steadfast. No, bless God, this is what God told me. And when you start to get more than one confirmation that maybe it's not God, maybe you have to change. You know, like... They're trying to blame now the American people on why our, our people don't like our president. Well, it's your fault because you don't see how special he is. Well, you know what? Sometimes we have to look at the facts. Amen? 
have to look at things instead of just blaming everybody else. And we do that in our own lives. I mean, it, we have to. So stubbornness can kill you. Stubbornness can kill a ministry. Stubbornness can kill a church. You can have a stubborn congregation that just refuses to, to change. Nobody did this when we put up the screens. Nobody complained about it. At least not to us. We didn't hear it. But we have to make changes like that in order to stay relevant in this. And I hate to use that word because it kind of just it chokes me to say it because I've been hearing so much about, you know, we've got to be relevant. Well, relevant doesn't mean coming up in tennis shoes and rips jeans and, you know, wearing a muscle shirt for a man. But maybe relevant is accepting a, a, a television screen. You know, maybe relevant is doing a new way that they've got apps that you can give on your phone, which if we got a lot of millennialists and younger people, we'd probably have to get an app for the phone because they don't have checks or carry cash. That's just part of it. We have to make changes. We can't be stubborn like that. But we have to be steadfast on the gospel. So there's a there's differences there. And stubbornness can kill. And we're gonna see that as we as we go on. It says in Psalm seventy eight, one through eight Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ear to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing them to the generation to come, the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set their hearts not aright, whose spirit were not steadfast with the Lord. Steadfast, firm in one's allegiance to someone or something, unwavering, stable, strong. That's what God wants us to be. We can't waver in our commitment to Christ. We can't waver in the fact that there's only one way to salvation. We need to be steadfast in that. But stubbornness is kind of the counterfeit of steadfastness. We must be unmovable, but we can't be stubborn and prideful. There's a big difference. When we hear the uh, words of correction, we must not become defensive, make excuses, walk away, refuse to hear. When we hear words of correction, we need to open our ears. And you can hear it all over the place. You can hear it. Sometimes I've been corrected just listening to a ministry. And you hear something and you go, ooh, that's me. Lord, please forgive me. I didn't mean to do that. It's because we can't see. A lot, of the, a lot of the times, our behavior is maybe evident to everybody else, but we're blind to it. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we're us. That's just what we do. That's who we are. So sometimes we're blind to these areas. We all have blind spots where we just can't see what we're doing. And we need help with it. We need help with one another to help us 
Sometimes somebody can say something, but do it in love. Don't, don't be a critical person because then the wall goes up even further. You can do it from the pulpit. You can do it reading a magazine, reading the Word. There, there's ways you can get correction. You just say, Holy Spirit, I open myself up to receive direction from you. Because stubbornness can kill you. If you continue on in a certain way, it can kill you. We don't want that. Joshua 24, 14 and 15 says, <clears throat> Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Once we become born again, we commit our will into God's hands. We don't have a self-will anymore. It's in God's hands, God's will. <coughs> Put aside all the things that are ungodly. Examine our hearts daily and just recognize the fact that we can't see our own flaws. Amen? We just can't see them. It says in John 16, 13, and 14, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We must decide if we're too old to let God lead us. Okay? And all of you are disqualified, because none of us are too old to change. We must decide whether we want to be pleasing to God or to hang on to the old way of doing things. And our stubbornness may have unintended consequences. Anything we stubbornly refuse to give up when the Holy Spirit is telling us to will hinder us. We can hang on to attitudes, behaviors. We can hang on to grudges and even habits. And every one of them is going to hurt us somewhere down the line. <coughs> Stubborn, another definition. Being headstrong. Ooh, I like that word. Anybody ever been headstrong? Unreasonably obstinate, unyielding, adhering firmly to your own purpose, opinion, or actions in spite of reason, arguments, or persuasion. So you're hearing the arguments, but your fingers are in your ears going la 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 la. And then you're going to go on your own way, and you're going to drive off the cliff, and then you're going to wonder midair, well, how did that happen? Well, somebody was trying to tell you not to do that, but you did it anyways, because why? Because you were stubborn, you didn't listen. People who refuse to give up smoking, and I'm not picking on anybody, okay? Because I know, I, I have a lot of sympathy for smokers. Both my parents were smokers. I never smoked, but I just have sympathy for them, because I realize that nicotine is a very hard addiction. But listen to this. People who refuse to give up smoking, even though God will give them a grace to stop if they ask. But they refuse to do it. They refuse to ask God for the grace. And then 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, 
they can track lung cancer, and they're going, well, why is this happening? What's happening? Emphysema, well, why is this happening? Well, because God has a grace for us that you can tap into for anything that you want to change. And I don't want to bring it up one more time, but our diet is a good example of it. Over the summer, I, w I went on that 21-day 20, sugar fast, crying out to the Lord every day, Lord, I need success just this one day to not eat chocolate, to eat right. Not that we were eating bad, but I knew the areas where I had to stop. And I knew I couldn't do it, and I cried out for grace for it. So this is how I know that this works. Cry out to God for grace to do it. If you're smoking and you're listening to me, cry out to God for grace. He'll show you what to do. Or overeating. Another, people who are diabetic and they refuse to help themselves. And then what happens further down the road, you, lose, you start to lose limbs, you start to lose your eyesight, your kidneys shut down. There's a grace for whatever you need help to get rid of. A grudge. There's a grace for you to get rid of it. Bitterness, unforgiveness, there's a grace for you to help you get rid of it. God understands that it's difficult to do it in our own strength. God has all the grace we need to live a victorious life, but we need to be open to hear him. He's got all the grace that we could ever want. So before I get up and preach, God, give me the grace to get up and say the right things. I need a grace. There's a grace. There's a power there. Leviticus 26, 23, 24 says, If you will not be reformed by me by these things, but will walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. God takes disobedience very seriously. We call it sin. God calls it rebellion. I think sin's even a softer word, but if we call it rebellion, it's like, oh my goodness. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? Rebellion. Proverbs 10:17. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Your life affects other people. Proverbs 15.10 There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. Proverbs 15.32 Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. So if you keep going in the wrong direction and you know that it's wrong, but you're just going to keep doing what you're doing because you don't want to change, you despise your own self. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. And if you are the corrector, make sure your motives are right. Some people are so critical when they go and correct somebody that it says ye who are spiritual, then correct them. If you don't think you can be spiritual in the matter, then maybe step aside and just keep praying for that person. But don't finger point at them because, listen, we all need correction at times. Some of the best correction I've gotten is from people who have been gentle with me, that they weren't yelling at me, accusing me of things. Just a gentle word sometimes can cut more than 
you know, somebody just unloading on you, telling you what an awful person you are. Amen? So when you correct, do it, do it in love, that you want to help that person, and don't do it sarcastically. Sometimes when we see someone in a fault, we feel it's our job to correct. Sometimes it's our job to pray. And God will send the correction. Always do it in love and not harshness. Always be loving toward one another because someday it's going to be you standing in that other place. And if you're harsh, God's going to make sure that you get your repayment right then. And you're going to say, well, why is everybody picking on me? Well, listen to the way you treat other people. You feel picked on. Or you feel, you know, like everybody's against you. Well, maybe you need to self-examine. You know, it's not always easy. But let's look at somebody and unintended consequences for their stubbornness. Let's look at Pharaoh. And I'm not going to read the scripture because you're all familiar with it. But let's look at Pharaoh's unintended consequences for his stubbornness. He was pretty stubborn. He had a hard heart. He did not want to listen to reason. Moses came and asked for the Israelites to be released from captivity. Reasonable. He had him 400 years free labor. You know, sometimes it's just time to make a change. And Pharaoh said no. But God sent ten plagues to try to get Pharaoh's attention to help him to make a right decision. Sometimes if it, some people go, well, everything's happening just one thing after another. Well, there was ten plagues that happened one thing after another to get attention. If, if you seem to be in constant calamity, maybe you need to look and say, God, are you trying to get my attention with something? Well, you know, what's going on? This is happening, this is happening, this is happening. Well, maybe God's trying to get your attention. You know, we always blame the devil. Well, the devil didn't have nothing to do with these plagues, did he? It was God who was trying to get Pharaoh's attention. Pharaoh stubbornly, stubbornly hung on to his decision and what did it cost him? It cost him his firstborn. And not only his firstborn, but all the firstborn in Egypt. Those who did not put the blood on the posts, I'm sure that that went around Egypt. You know, hey, you could save your firstborn if you put blood on the posts. I'm sure that got around. Don't you think? It probably somewhere, some way. You know, what are the Israelites doing? What are they doing over there? They're putting blood on the post because they said whoever had blood on the post that the angel would save them. Save their firstborn. Nah, don't believe that. Nothing's going to happen. Well, geez, after ten plagues, I would get that blood up there. But he hung on, and sometimes our rebellion does affect others. It affects our families. It affects everything, everybody that we know. We can be like Pharaoh. We're told to do something or to stop doing something. And then the consequences come. And not only the consequences affect you, but it affects everybody around you. We can say no. We turn it up here to the Holy Spirit. And then we often rationalize our decision. Everybody's looking at me so innocently, but we've all done it. We've all rationalized why we can't not do what God asks us to do. We have to have a, a willingness to listen and, and obey. God might tell you something that you don't like to do, but he's telling you for our own good, especially in these last days. 
we need to really hear what the voice of God is telling us. And remember, we belong to him, and he's not going to tell us something to hurt us. You know, I was listening to um, a sermon this week on the end times, and they said, you know, we must never think that God is going to put his church in the hands of of the Antichrist. Because God is coming back for a glorious church. He's not coming back for an abused church. He's coming back for a glorious church. He's not a child abuser. He's not going to let us be in the hands of the Antichrist. And I thought, yeah, that's right. Even though things are going to happen to us, we're going to stand up strong, we're going to be bold, and we're going to face. We're going to face some life because we have the grace of God on us. But we have to learn how to obey if we get in the car and God says, don't go to Denton, then we need to get out of the car and go back in the house. Because you don't know if you're driving into an accident. He might be trying to save you from something. Or if he says, go a different way, we need to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that we can hear him. And God will never ask you to do anything which is beyond the ability of his grace to help you do it. He'll never ask you to do anything that is beyond his grace to help you. So we can't say, I can't do it. Because he's not going to ask us to do anything that's beyond his grace. I mean, that to me is amazing. That if God wanted us to do something, he'll give us the grace and the power to do it. Because he wants our success. See, some of us have grown up in such bad homes. I I grew up in a bad home. You already knew that. But um, we sometimes don't trust when authority tells us things because authority in the past has been pretty mean to us. They weren't nice. They didn't want us to succeed. Or if they wanted us to succeed, they do, you know, crappy things, excuse me, to you to get you to say, well, you know, you just need to know how it feels to this and this and this. And it's like, I didn't learn that that was a good lesson. Do you you understand what I'm saying? You know, you you don't tell somebody, well, I did this so you can feel what it's like. You know, I betrayed you so you could feel what it was like. Well, all it taught me was to not trust you at all. Because if I trust you, you're going to do something right down the line that's the same way again to me. So I don't trust you. So a lot of times we have a trust issue with God just because he's the authority figure. Mm -hmm. God is not your mother. God is not your father. He is our heavenly father. And he's, he's always got our best interest in mind. So we can trust when he tells us to do something that it's for our own good. Amen? He says that men discipline children for that immediate time. They didn't always do it right, but God disciplines us with an eye on the future for us so we can trust God. It says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. His grace is sufficient for whatever we need to do. So we don't need to be stubborn holding on to things. When we know God's saying, let it go, we're holding on. And he says, let it go, trust me. And it's like, no, no, no. Let it go, and you'll see that God will either replace it, he'll do something better, or you'll just start advancing in your spiritual walk again. 
It says in James 4, 5 through 8, Do you think that the scripture says in vain, The spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? But he gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He gives grace to who? To the humble. He doesn't give grace to those who are proud of themselves. To those that stop up their ears and say, no, this is the way I've always done it, and that's the way it's going to be. Our pride blinds us to behaviors and habits that sabotage our spiritual growth. God is not, was not pleased with Israel when they hardened their hearts and refused to obey him. He called them stiff-necked several times in the book of Exodus. The wilderness was a proving ground. They asked God for a table in the wilderness. God provided it, and then they complained and said the table was better in Egypt. He's God. He was able to shoulder that. I mean, how many of us would be able to shoulder these people? I mean, what a bunch of complainers. It says in Psalm 95, 6-11, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long I was grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that does err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swore in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. And Jimmy Swigert said this, he said in his commentary, the greatest sin of all may just be the sin of faithlessness. And I agree, I thought that was good. The entire fabric of the plan of God demands faith. Men forsake God because they don't believe God. In the wilderness, the Israels died because of that unbelief and they could not enter into God's rest. That's how important God puts obedience. Proverbs 28:14. Happy is the man that fears always, but he that hardens his heart shall fall into mischief. Proverbs 29.1 He that often being reproved hardened his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. The Israelites suffered because their hearts were hardened. They didn't trust God. They suffered, and God did not take it well when his children do not obey. In our own strength, we can do nothing. But with God's strength, we can do all things. But we have to acknowledge, acknowledge that we need his help. It's not so hard. Have you ever seen people that don't need help or don't want help? And you see them struggling with something and you say, can I help you? And they go, no, 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 that's all right, I got it. And then you walk away and they're blah, 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 because they're still trying to do it. Know when you need help and know when you don't need help. You need help. God will send help. Amen. Just know that there's help available, and you don't have to do everything all by yourself. Amen. Amen. When Saul was told to destroy the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15, he refused to completely obey. And this is another thing: halfway obedience is not obedience at all. We can't halfway obey. We can't just obey the good parts and. The parts we don't really like or understand, we're not going to obey. 
not obedience. But look at the way he rationalized it in 1 Samuel 15, 12 through 15. When Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul, come to Carmel, and behold, he set, up, set him up a place, and is going about, and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Well, we got rid of the terrible stuff, but we're going to keep the good stuff, and we're going to sacrifice it to the Lord. Saul was commanded to destroy them utterly, and yet he stubbornly followed his own way, and he tried to strike a bargain with Samuel by saying, well, you know, we are going to sacrifice it to the Lord. God doesn't like pride. He doesn't like self-will. He was told to utterly destroy it. And Samuel gave Saul a second chance to repent, and then he blamed the people again. In 1 Samuel 15, 22-23, And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and I have brought again the king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. So he starts blaming somebody else. Well, I'm like this because my parents, I'm like this because something happened, I'm like this because, and Samuel said, as the Lord, as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. <coughs> For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Jimmy Swigert said, Witchcraft is the effort to manipulate the spirit world through demons. How is that like rebellion? To rebel against God's order, which is Christ and him crucified, is to take matters into our own hands, which is the same as witchcraft. God will not allow any kind of disobedience to be blessed. So we must first be willing to submit, and we need to be willing to examine ourselves and say, Lord, if there's any wicked thing in me, show me. And then just sit back. God's faithful to, God's faithful to answer our prayers. Amen. It's much better to obey God in the first place than ask for forgiveness. What is that thing? You know, it's better to ask for permission and then ask for forgiveness. I don't know what it is, but it's like I'm going to do my own thing and then I'm going to ask for forgiveness because it's better to do that than to wait. No, it's not. Obey. And then you won't have to ask for forgiveness. Stubbornness and steadfastness can seem like the same thing to us, so we need to have help from the Holy Spirit to know if we are being stubborn or if we're being steadfast. We need to know. If one of our attitudes goes against the word and we continue to rationalize why we do what we do, then we're just being stubborn. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you knew that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And there's threefold promise in this. In exhortation, it's that they should be steadfast, firm, fixed in the faith of the gospel, that gospel which was preached and they had received, namely that Christ died for our sins and arose again the third day according to the scriptures. So we need to be very steadfast in that. We need to be fixed of the faith of the glorious resurrection of the dead, which as he has shown, has, has so near and necessary a connection with the former. Number two, he exhorts us to be immovable, namely in our expectations of this great privilege of being raised incorruptible and immortal. Christians should not be moved away from this hope, this glorious and blessed hope. They should not renounce nor resign their comfortable expectations. They are not in vain, but they are solid hopes. We can trust that we're going to be resurrected. This is a sure foundation, the purchase and power of the risen Savior and the promise of God to whom it is impossible to lie, hopes that they shall be more powerful, supports under all the pressures of life, the more effectual antidotes against the fears of death, and the most quickening motives to diligence and perseverance in Christian duty. Number three, he exhorts them to abound in the work of the Lord. And that always in the Lord's service in obeying the Lord's commands. They should be diligent and persevering herein and go on towards perfection. That they should be continually making advances in true piety, ready and apt for every good work. The most cheerful duty, the greatest diligence, the most constant perseverance become those who have such glorious hopes. So be ye steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be pliable in the hands of the Lord. Trust that God's got a grace for you. God's got a grace for you to, to do what you need to do. It says in Psalm 32, 7 to 11, You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the ways which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with my eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with a bit and a bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. I want my Lord to be able to direct me with his eye. I don't want him to put a bit in my mouth to have to pull me and tug me. And I just want God to be able to gently say something, and that's what I do. Let's make sure that we're teachable. Let's make sure that God can guide us with our eyes. I want to give you a few examples. What would happen, and just think about this, if these Bible people had been stubborn, Abraham was told to get out of his father's land. What would have happened if he stayed? Abraham was told to take Isaac up to the mountain. So he went up and obeyed that. What if he didn't know? What if he didn't hear God when he said, Abraham, stop, don't kill Isaac? Noah, Noah, build a boat. What if Noah had disobeyed and had been stubborn and said, 
I'm not building a boat, look. You know, we're so many things from the ocean. It's going to take me 120 years to, to do what you're asking. I'm not doing it. How about Jehoshaphat? Put the singers in front of the army. Well, does that make sense to you, the singers? So, all right, Doris, you get in front, and then we're going to put the warriors in the back. <laughs> I can't do that. We're not going to do that. All the singers get in the back, and we're going to send up the army first. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't bow. What if they decided, well, you know what, I'm not going to, I see that fiery furnace. I might as well just bow. Daniel and the lion's den. Well, I don't need to pray. I don't need to do that. Peter, cast your net out. Well, Lord, we've gone fishing all night. I'm just going to go in and clean my nets. Peter, go fishing and open the mouth of the first fish you see and there's your taxes. No. That's ridiculous. I'm not doing that. Mary, you're going to have a baby. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not doing it. Ananias, go lay hands on Saul of Tarsus. Uh, no, not doing it. And finally, Jesus, the cup of sorrows. Not my will, he said, but your will be done. And that's where I want to end it with you today. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. All of those examples I gave, think about it. Had they not obeyed? Had they been stubborn? And they, each one of them could have rationalized why they couldn't obey. What are your rationalizations today? I'm not obeying what God's telling me to do. How are you rationalizing it? Stop rationalizing it and obey God. Amen? Amen? There's nothing better. You look at all these examples, and there's so many more in the Bible of, of people that have obeyed God when he asked them to do something that was totally impossible. And he had the grace right there for them to do it. Amen? You have a grace today. You don't need to be stubborn. You don't need to hold on to things. Amen? Amen. I make it sound so simple. It's easy. Just trust God. And that's what we're going to do today. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for this day. And Lord, just please show us those things that we've hold on to. Father, if there's been unforgiveness in our heart, if there's been bitterness. Father, if there's personal habits that you're trying to get us to shake loose of so you can bless us. Father, I thank you that by the Holy Spirit that you show each of us. And Father God, and we appropriate the grace to, to just drop those things, Lord, that are not pleasing to you. Because, Father, I know that each of us want to please you, Father. We don't want to be intractable. We don't want to be stubborn. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you give us the way to do it, Father, and you help us through it. And Father, that you bless us Bless our families today in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, God transforms us. Amen. Because we we got to come to that conclusion, and everybody that's heard this message today, have thine own way.